0: The Royals pay respects to Britain's war dead, Prince Harry gets a boost in his battle against an old enemy, and Prince William sounds like he wants to be Prime Minister. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello listeners, and welcome to the show. Now, there has been fighting on the streets of Britain as a controversial figure was cast out, and for once, none of this had anything to do with the royal family, but it did somewhat overshadow the efforts the royals made to pay respect to Britain's war dead, and actually, this was a really serious issue, so I don't want to in any way make light of it, but Um, In the run up to a normal remembrance weekend, or at least what passes for normal in the world of royal reporting, which, you know, is very different to how it was in the past. But the public and the media would usually kind of have a whole period of time spent debating whether Harry should have flown back to Britain, whether the appearances the Sussexes made in America were trying to grab attention or, you know, all kinds of other toxic debates that tend to happen in royal reporting these days but uh, this was all different and let me just tell you a little bit about what happened so basically britain remembrance sunday and armistice day which usually fall within a few days of one another and today we're on saturday and sunday just gone they are like a massive massive moment in britain when the whole country stops to remember britain's war dead and there's you know a minute silence on uh, remembrance sunday at 11am to just kind of stop And just think about the sacrifices that people have made. And Armistice Day obviously has the slight additional quality of being about peace because it goes back to uh, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month when um, Armistice was finally reached in the First World War. Um, this time, though, the whole thing was kind of overshadowed by the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, fanning the flames of racial tensions in Britain, and it was all about the, this national march for Palestine, um, which was organised. They've been doing them every Saturday, but there was one, including uh, on this weekend, when Armistice Day was happening as well. Now, Suella Braverman is your classic kind of culture warrior, right-wing populist politician. And she described it as a hate march and said that it should be banned. But um, she kind of created this uh, this whole sort of framing where uh, far-right protesters then decided that they needed to come out and protect the Cenotaph from the Palestine rally, which was actually nowhere near the Cenotaph in the end. Um, So that's Britain's main war memorial. It's where Remembrance and Armistice Day are held each year and so what wound up happening was these far-right counter-protests were shouting like horrible things like you're not English anymore at the police who were trying to stop them from getting the cenotaph to, be- to the cenotaph to basically wreck Armistice Day um, and even on Re- Remembrance Sunday the day after it was still the whole thing was dominated then by speculation over whether Braverman was going to be kicked out and it kind of cast this big shadow over the whole thing actually in the end she was fired by Monday for a scandal that was actually equally likely to leave her in the royal family's bad books. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But the whole saga just kind of undermined what the whole thing was about, which made it so bizarre that these far-right people who were claiming to be protecting Remembrance did this thing that basically nuked Remembrance Day and nuked Armistice Day. But we did still get the royals out in force, and we got them out in force from both sides of the Atlantic. And who knows, maybe one day in like 2043, this whole saga will be the Peter Morgan's big metaphor in season two. 286 of the crown after they basically drive a truckload of money up to his house and force him to keep the series going. It's meant to be having its finale uh, in, in November, December, so technically speaking it's coming to an end but let's talk about the actual royal family and the much much better things that they've been doing than these uh, horrible counter protests so Harry first he had a brief appearance by a video pre-record for Stand Up for Heroes on Monday which I think I actually mentioned last week but the bigger event actually weirdly flew kind of under the radar in fact a whole series of things threw a little under the radar because I, I don't think personally they were PR'd that well and I'm going to talk a little bit about that but just to tell you what happened first he visit he went to San Diego with Megan and they've helped to open this fantastic state-of-the-art facility in downtown San Diego it's a Navy fitness program facility and they've got this fantastic state-of-the-art gym they've got all this equipment and it's there to help Navy seals and other kind of forces veterans recover from injuries but also to work on their mental health as well to kind of help them recover from the trauma of war so all of this is very Prince Harry. You know, he's done a lot of this kind of work in Britain. And obviously he has that background of having served on the front line himself. You know, he did two tours of Afghanistan. In the first one, he was uh, giving authorization to strike to helicopters and airplanes in the sky. Um, but also the second time round he was actually a co-pilot gunner in an Apache attack helicopter firing weapons himself and killing 25 Taliban, as he said in his book. Uh, so, weirdly, this story about this visit to San Diego broke in the local papers there, in the local media, local TV stations. And I can't get my head around why they chose not to push this harder with kind of major national and international outlets, because it's a great cause. You know, Harry was hanging out with Navy SEAL veterans. You know, these people are heroes. Uh, the place looks amazing. The pictures of the gym look Fantastic. And Harry and Meghan both look great. And um, obviously, you know, they clearly did actually want to push the work they've been doing on veterans because they wound up doing no less than four projects. They had Stand Up for Heroes on the Monday. Then they uh, did an even more under the radar visit to Camp Pendleton in in San Diego in support of something called Operation Biggs, which is Um, It helps children to cope with having a family member in the military. Um, Then they did this warrior fitness program visit also in San Diego. And then finally, it was announced that Harry is now a global ambassador for this really fantastic UK charity, Scotty's Little Soldiers, which he's worked with before. And they help children who have a parent who's died in war. So obviously, Harry, having lost his mother, Princess Diana, when he was 12, can connect quite well with a uh, a lot of the children who are helped by this charity, and it's a really fantastic cause. So, all of this is great, great stuff. And, um, you know, they're, they're brilliant causes, and they probably deserved a big media response. Uh, But I don't think they got anywhere near the kind of response that Harry is accustomed to getting for a lot of work he does, especially around a subject that actually, you know, media organizations do quite like focusing on remembrance and focusing on veterans and focusing on all these kind of good things. Um, So even, for example, people um, who have been very positive about Harry and Meghan before were left running video footage from CBS 8 San Diego. And it kind of strikes to the core of a major change that Harry and Meghan brought in when they quit the palace and kind of went freelancing, went out on their own and did their own thing, which is that they did this whole big thing where they like they actually boycotted a a number of tabloid newspapers and that got a lot of attention because they were like absolutely kind of blacklisting certain publications in Britain that they really didn't like. But what got slightly less attention was that they also kind of dismantled a lot of the kind of system that exists within palace communications in so far as you know they built their own new press operation and with the royal family they do kind of play things largely with a straight. what we would say in, in britain was a straight bat. i mean that's a cricketing reference so you know it just because they keep it simple right like they have a, a certain percentage of their press releases just go to absolutely everybody you know news wires the press association ap uh, Reuters, all of these big organizations, all the publications that might be interested in them, everybody gets to find out about it all in one go. Here you go. There's everything. There's all the details. They have some stuff that only goes to the rotor. Uh, and then obviously, you know, they do have, they, they brief journalists they know well and work with off the record. And they will have some particularly, like, maybe more kind of sensitive briefings that they will give to their favorites, no doubt. Like, you know, they do have favorites, let's be honest. They have reporters they particularly like and trust who will get more off-the-record background briefings than others. So, you know, it's not that they never focus on one organisation over another. They do sometimes. But there's a certain amount that just goes to absolutely everybody. And Harry and Meghan kind of stopped doing that up to a point. And I think it's kind of created situations like this one where... Actually, this deserved to get so much more coverage. I actually got an invite to this event, not from Harry and Meghan, but uh, from elsewhere, that made an, absolutely no mention of the fact they were going. So I, I just literally didn't. I thought I was just being invited to an event that had nothing whatsoever to, the royal, to do with the royal family and ignored it. And, uh, you know, I get loads of stuff like that. I get absolutely loads of those kinds of emails. And there was absolutely nothing in it to tell me that there was a royal story here. Um, So, you know, you can't follow up everything. And obviously it turned out in the fullness of time that it was Harry and Meghan. Um, And I just don't understand why that couldn't be put out more widely and they would have got much better coverage for a cause that is clearly very close to their hearts that they care about a lot. But also, you know, beyond the actual job itself, they're clearly, you know, they're pushing veterans it's it's the single most successful aspect of harry's working life through the invictus games and all kinds of other stuff he's doing you know scotty's little soldiers he's worked with before you know they've got to start playing it more simple and just being more straightforward and just actively pring all of this stuff themselves and doing it the way that it was done when they were in the palace which is just send it to everyone just tell everybody everything you're doing, let publications come themselves, let them all cover it, do it the normal, straightforward way, and then people will write stories about it. You know you invite people to turn up in person, they'll turn up in person. I cannot get my head around why they didn't PR this more effectively, but I think they need to kind of go back to basics and stop trying to do things their own way, like relearn the PR rulebook and just go back to PR 101 and just do it normally because these jobs deserve to get way better coverage than they got. And, you know, it's like I kind of get it why they changed things when they first left, because back then they were getting too much attention, they were getting too much coverage, and every time they sneezed, the Daily Mail had a heart attack, and they probably just felt like they needed to tone everything down a little bit and be more in control. And so I think that's where it came from. I think it came from this, like, desire for control, but I think they need to understand that post the kind of, big Sussex polling collapse of January, the game has changed and the world has changed and they need to start playing it a little bit differently and a little bit more smart. If they want to rebuild what they lost... When they um, released the Netflix documentary and Harry's uh, Harry's book in January, so needless to say, once it was all out there in the public domain, it all did descend into an argument anyway over whether Meghan should have worn a poppy, uh, which at this time of year is absolutely inspect expected in Britain. I think somebody you know, people were saying on on social media on Twitter or X or whatever it's called that she you know she was wearing it for attention, like it's obviously not necessarily when people the time of year that people wear poppies in America it's not as customary um, but I would only say one thing which is that I think it mo- most likely happened here is that basically Harry wanted to wear one because that's what we do in Britain. In Britain, this is the time of year you wear your poppy, you don't even just wear it on Remembrance Sunday and Armistice Day, you wear it in the whole build-up, you know, for days beforehand. Uh, so he would have wanted to wear one, especially with the announcement going out about about Scotty's Little Soldiers, you know, that's a UK charity, and so any coverage that was going to be tied to that, he would need to be wearing a poppy in the pictures because it's a UK organisation and it's going to attract UK coverage. Um, once Harry's worn his poppy, Meghan then can't kind of just pass not wear one, she either has to decide to consciously not wear one or she's got to wear one. And so that's where, if she didn't, then it kind of runs the risk that she could then be accused of like shunning the poppy or being disrespectful by the British media. So I'd imagine what happened was that, you know, she just felt and her staff would have felt if Harry's going to wear one, she's got to wear one too. It's both or it's nothing. And Harry, you know, he is ultimately like he's a British soldier he's a british veteran you know he fought in afghanistan obviously he's going to be in a poppy so therefore it does kind of make sense megan would wear one too and actually, you know, I've got to say, in years past, the tabloids in Britain have been known for absolutely berating people who didn't wear poppies. It's sometimes referred to as poppy fascism, and it got to the point where the Royal British Legion, uh, which was, of course, very close to Queen Elizabeth II's heart, um, they actually released a statement, uh, you know, just years ago now, saying it's wrong to put pressure on people to wear poppies. That where, the decision about whether or not to wear poppy is personal and people shouldn't be pressured into doing it if they don't want to and that did take a lot of the heat out of this debate because it was starting to get very toxic and negative Um, but needless to say you know they Harry and Meghan would have been well aware that there was a a very strong possibility that she would have been criticised if he'd been wearing one and she wasn't. So anyway that is Harry and Meghan. Now back in Britain the royals paid a touching tribute at the Cenotaph in London and Charles and William laid wreaths Bizarrely, a body language expert uh, was quoted in the tabloids in Britain suggesting William was showing signs of inattention because he was blinking rapidly this is apparently, uh, it was suggested, it shows he's kind of presenting himself as the royal family's rock in some way. I mean, it was all very bizarre to me and I'm fairly sure I've heard body language experts say before that rapid blinking is a sign of fighting back tears, which does make sense in the context of a remembrance service. You know, these are very moving occasions, they're very sobering and especially, you know, the moment of laying the wreath as well. I'm sure you know, William was very heavy with the knowledge of all the soldiers who have lost their lives who he was paying tribute to Um, so maybe a day for the royals on both sides of the pond to just be cut a little bit of slack basically kate also watched the service she didn't take part um, but she watched it and she wore this very dramatic black coat dress with tassels and military detailing that gave it yeah gave it this kind of like military uniform feel to it and she looked fantastic And on that note, I'm going to take a quick break. But before I do, don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. When I'm back, Prince Harry wins round one of his fight against the male.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
0: Kind of a tiny bit strange to be sat here saying Prince Harry wins round one against the mail because this is only the fourth time that he's sued them or him and Meghan between them. Needless to say, this is round one of his latest case, and I would argue it's probably the second most dramatic of the four from a royal perspective. Uh, I think the most dramatic was Meghan's court case over her private letter, the emotional stakes there were just so high. This is Prince Harry joining celebrities like Elton John, who's a personal friend of his, and um, Elton John's husband David Furnish, Sadie Frost, uh, who a lot of her case is about her relationship with Jude Law way back when, um, and they are all suing Associated Newspapers, which is the publisher of the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday and Mail Online. Now, obviously, the Mail brand has quite a big, uh, quite a big footprint or showing in America these days as well. So, this is not just a UK-focused lawsuit in their respect. I think a lot of Americans actually read Mail Online. Um, so. It's historic allegations of phone hacking, wiretapping and misuse of private information. And that category, the private information bit, is mainly something called blagging. Blagging is an English word for when a person tries to kind of trick somebody into giving over something they shouldn't give. And its origins are far more benign, really, than this case. Uh, so, for example, there was like a kid at my school who used to blag free cinema tickets by pretending to be a reviewer. So he would kind of call up the cinema and say, oh, yeah, I work for this person and I'm going to review this film. I need a free ticket. And he'd get them to give him one, um, but this is much more serious, and it includes, for example, blagging flight details and even private medical information. So this all happened many years ago. In fact, some of the earliest allegations date back decades, and the mail wanted this case thrown out for being too historic. So you men file lawsuits within six years for this type of offence. Um, and Harry said he had just he had no way of knowing he was a victim, partly because of the vehement denials that the mail and his published. Given, uh, the former editor of the Daily Mail, like kind of, uh, well, I was going to say legendary, but also like very controversial uh, Daily Mail editor, Paul Dacre, who, you know, is. F- Famously very difficult to work for, I think is a polite way to put it, um, gave very strong statements to a public inquiry called the Leveson Inquiry into the, the culture of British journal- journalism, You know, vehemently denying uh, all these allegations and defending the male's reputation. So Harry said, look, with stuff like that going on, there's just no way I could have known that I was a victim. Um, the judge has sided with Harry and with the other claimants um, easily, he said, in fact. So Harry's case survives and he can chalk this early pre-trial hearing up as a a win. Um, It's not the main event, though. There'll still have to be a whole other trial um, but the, his case can now proceed to trial. He's had a bit of a kind of hiccup because um, the Daily Mail succeeded in getting the judge to kind of rule out some evidence that he wanted to include from this public inquiry, the Leveson Inquiry, which was massive in Britain. It dominated news cycle after news cycle after news cycle for months and, months and months and months and months and months. And it gave some of the biggest celebrities in the world a forum in which they could go and just discuss all the terrible things the media had done to them over umpteen years. The mail disclosed some evidence to Levison, and Harry's lawyers have it. They want to use it. The court has ruled they cannot use it currently. They might be able to dance through hoops and get forced the mail to disclose it or get it into evidence some other way. Um, so it might not be the end of the road for that, but it is kind of a bit of a hiccup for Harry. Could be a problem if it isn't resolved, could just as easily get resolved. Also, I mean, that's not going to be the entirety of disclosure. Now that there's going to be a trial... Harry and his lawyers can try to force the mail to release all kinds of other emails and documents related to the case. Um, and I think that's partly what Harry and his team want, is they just want to force the mail to kind of open the book and let them in to all the stuff that's that's been happening over however many years, you know, decades. Um, so in order to fully understand this case, you really have to understand things, also not just the case itself, but like what it means to harry the emotional stakes for him. One of those things is the phone hacking scandal, and I'm going to keep this brief because it's very UK focused, some people might know about it already, and some people might just not be that interested. Uh, but essentially phone hacking was widespread among a number of British newspapers, uh, but it came to light at one specific tabloid newspaper, the News of the World, which was a Sunday paper owned by Rupert Murdoch, and it was a really Really famous, like very famous for these explosive celebrity sex scandals, including, you know, many that would involve like undercover filming of celebrities like having sex in hotel rooms or taking drugs or stuff like that. It was all incredibly explosive. And, you know, journalists who kind of worked in this field would anticipate the news of the world each Sunday, uh, feeling like they might have something mega um and so william and uh, prince william and the palace actually discovered that phone hacking was happening again you know it was already i think widely rumored in the press but it got back to them and they being in the position that they're in where they're protected by the police and and their private lives having a national security dimension they reported to the police and got the police to investigate, and that led to the first criminal prosecutions being brought against the News of the World. Or uh, it was actually known bizarrely; it was known as the Screws because they published so many sex stories that it was like the News of the Screws. That was the joke. Um, so ultimately, there was then a further investigation by the Guardian, which then led to Rupert Murdoch. It, like it was properly you know it was one of those massive, massive scandals. There was evidence that they hacked the phone of a girl who'd been murdered by a serial killer. So it was really, really nasty stuff. And Rupert Murdoch shut the paper down and it triggered a massive media reckoning in Britain. Now, it wasn't just the news of the world. There have been allegations against the Daily Mirror and the Sunday Mirror. And in fact, Harry has made some of those allegations himself uh, more recently. But, you know, many allegations against those two newspapers and certain reporters from those newspapers turned supergrass and, you know, admitted, including in court, hacking phones at the Mirror Group. But the Daily Mail always got out of this whole thing pretty much unscathed they were never investigated by the police paul dacre always vehemently denied that the mail had ever hacked phones you know nothing was ever traced or followed back to them So what Harry is trying to do here is to tar the mail with Britain's most toxic newspaper scandal, possibly in history. Um, And he actually tried and failed to do the same thing with Rupert Murdoch's other tabloid newspaper, The Sun, in a separate case. And parts of that case... continuing, but the part that relates to phone hacking has failed uh, because it was filed too late. Um, But the other thing that you really have to understand in order to grasp the emotional gravity of this whole situation is that the Daily Mail is uniquely hostile to this kind of attack against it. When Megan sued the Mail on Sunday and won I have it on good authority that they honestly believed they would beat her and they were absolutely livid that they lost. But they also made her life hell for the entire duration of the trial. And Harry actually believes, he argues, it's been questioned by medical experts, but he believes that they caused her to experience a miscarriage through the stress and anxiety that they put her under. Um, If you're a pregnant woman listening to this, please do appreciate that, the medical experts say, it is impossible, you know, It's there isn't an association between high levels of stress and anxiety and miscarriage, so please don't put yourselves under any further stress or pressure. But, you know, basically... The Mail came out swinging against Meghan. Then they've already come out swinging against Harry in this case, and saying that these phone hacking allegations are preposterous smears. Uh, so believe that they mean it when they say uh, that they're going to contest this. And whatever the reality of what happened, the Mail will be setting out to win this case, and they will fully believe that they are going to. And they will absolutely love it if they beat Harry. But Harry will absolutely love it if he beats them. It's an absolute tabloid grudge match of the highest order order and the stakes are way higher here than in a lot lot of harry's other cases this is the big one and i honestly think personally that he could lose all the other cases and he wouldn't necessarily care as long as he wins this one Um, it's still at an early stage the daily mail haven't even filed a defense yet but fully expect them to go in hard on him and i think harder uh, than the other tabloids did also maybe like harder going harder on harry than some of the other claimants um harry says one article. Now, this is just to give a flavour of some of the allegations that Harry's brought in this case. Uh, He says one article... Details, My and Williams' anger about the publication of a photograph of our dying mother in the Italian media. So that is really, you know, raising the emotional stakes there. And he says publishing his flight details in one case or Chelsea Davies' flight details was not only illegal, but a real security risk. So obviously that introduces that dimension that it could have put him or Chelsea Davies' life in jeopardy. Um, And his, his witness statement towards the end reads, the defendant, the owner of various national newspapers, including the Daily Mail, which by its own definition is the most influential and popular newspaper in the U.K., can evade justice without there being a trial of my claims, then what does that say about the industry as a whole and the consequences for our great country? So he really made a kind of effort to create a a wider political framing for the case in his bid to stop this from being thrown out. Obviously he won. I'm not necessarily sure he won because of of that particular line of argument, um, but he won nonetheless. So, uh, the real kind of meat of this issue will come out in court and Harry will probably have to give evidence. He will probably be able to force journalists at the mail to give evidence too, at least some of them. And if he has a personal vendetta against them, then he might take some satisfaction in that, seeing them being forced to be held to account in the way that he feels he has been held to account. But when he's in the box, the male lawyers will also get to have a run at him too. Um, he's testified once before already, so he's got that experience to build on. The cross-examination in that case was kind of very detailed, but in terms of the kind of atmosphere and emotion in the room, it was very calm and respectful. Uh, it will be interesting to see whether the male lawyers go down the same path or whether they choose to do what is called in the legal business, bludgeoning the witness So, bludgeoning the witnesses when you get kind of shouty with the person and you have a proper go at them. I actually personally don't think bludgeoning is a sign that a case is going well for a lawyer. In my experience, when I've seen lawyers bludgeon a witness, it's usually because they're losing. Um, So, but you know, that it will be very interesting if Harry does get put under that kind of pressure to see how he copes with it. Um, on that note, I'm going to take one more quick break. But before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter or X, as it's apparently now called. I'm at Jack underscore Royston. You will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. When I'm back, Prince William ended a tour for the Earthshot prize with some big statements about his future.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole?
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Prince William got, I think, a slightly disappointing round of initial coverage for his Earthshot Prize Climate Awards in Singapore last week in the British press, but he followed up with a very interesting interview with the media who travelled with him. William said he wants to go further than any royal family member has gone before, moving past simply showing up at events to actually building homes for homeless people. Um, he said, it's about social leadership. That's what I'm trying to find my way in, is I care about so many things, and previously the family have been very much spotlighting brilliantly and going round and highlighting lots. I want to go a step further. I want to actually bring change. And I want to bring people to the table who can do the change if I can't do it. And so it's all about progressing, helping and advancing particular social causes that need to be given more support. Now, the first point here is that, obviously, if Harry had said this, it would have caused an absolute firestorm of negative backlash along the lines, you know, you think you're better than the Queen, because the Queen was known for spotlighting and highlighting good causes and leading by example, but keeping out of politics. So there is a degree of a kind of double standard in how the media have responded. Um, but the second point is that this is actually pretty political in just the same way as a project that Kate is doing called Shaping Us. Now, when we traditionally talk about the royals being political, we usually mean they've said something they shouldn't have or let us know an opinion of theirs. But what William and Kate's doing is slightly different. In their own separate ways, they are both seemingly trying to replace services that have been withdrawn by the government. So Shaping Us is about early years care and trying to bring new energy towards helping parents with their kids during the nought to four age bracket, which is so basically leading up to the start of school. So before they're in full time education. Um and it comes after the current Conservative government took an absolute hatchet to public funding for exactly that age range. Um, Now, I mentioned earlier that the Home Secretary had been fired, and the reason given was that she had said recently that homelessness was a lifestyle choice and tried to push for a line in the King's speech to the effect that the government would crack down on charities giving out tents to homeless people. In the end, she got shut down and basically, you know, it didn't get put in there, but that's what she was pushing for. So, William has been fighting to help homeless people his whole life since Diana took him to homeless shelters as a child But what he's actually now suggesting is that he wants to go one step further than the practice the Home Secretary wanted to ban. And instead of giving out tents, he wants to build homes. But building homes is what governments do. So here you have two royals in an era where the current government is slowly dying, basically, and heading for an absolute car crash election defeat, if you believe the polls anyway. Anyway. And they appear to be trying to fill the gap that years of cuts to public services have left behind. Um, So far, I mean, there was a little bit of criticism, or it was kind of picked up upon a little bit, but they didn't get anywhere near the kind of, you know, both barrels treatment that Harry and Meghan get when they say things people object to. So for now, I think that they'll probably be happy to just take whatever little criticism they got on the chin, Um, but it's going to be interesting to watch how it all plays out. And that is it for this episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all.